Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. We've been working through the book of Daniel and this morning we were looking at Daniel chapter 3. Now, if you've been to Sunday school twice in your life, if that's the minimum amount of time you've been to Sunday school, you would have done David and Goliath and you would have done Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, Daniel chapter 3. So Daniel chapter 3 is all about these guys from Judea. They're taken out of Jerusalem, which was in Judea at the time. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon took everyone out. Well, those that he didn't kill, he took them out and took them over to Babylon and then he, he repositioned them into their society. And these three young guys find themselves in this situation in Daniel 3 whereby King Nebuchadnezzar got a huge golden statue built to honour him. And he decrees to everyone that if you do not bow down to this golden statue of me, I'm going to um, destroy you. And so he had these fiery pits constructed and then set afire. And these three young guys, godly guys, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego said, nah, we're not going to bow down to you. Rule number one of the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. So we are going to honour our God, the God of heaven, the God of earth, the God of the, of the Israelite people. And so they, um, they refused to get down on their hands and knees in front of a golden statue. So King Nebuchadnezzar said, all right, fellas, we're going to bound you, bind you up, bound that he binded, <laughs> banded, <laughs> bonded, bound them up. Just one. Okay, cool. All right, cool. Bound. All right, I'm getting some correction from the front row there. Thank you very much. He bound, He got them bound. And so they're bound up together. And so soldiers would escort them into this fire. And the scriptures talk about how the soldiers who were escorting them by the side got burned to death but these guys stayed alive. And so then they were pushed into the fire and they didn't get burned because they chose to worship and honour God. They saw the value of worshipping God in a moment where the end of their life was staring right at them, looking at a fiery furnace saying, you know what, I'm not going to honour this king of Babylon. I'm going to honour the Lord Jesus. Here's my first point this morning. We are designed for worship. We are designed to worship God. A couple of years ago, um, my family were living in Bristol in the UK. Bristol is a very left-leaning city and they're very progressive is what uh, people would call um, a left-leaning city. So uh, our son Archer was four and a half and at four and a half, the kids start school. So he started school at a Church of England school, an Anglican school, right in the, the CBD, right in the CBD of Bristol. And um, he was one of the only white kids in his class. It was very multicultural. And uh, anyway, one day, little four-year-old, four-and-a-half-year-old Archer uh, is in the classroom and um, he, I get a phone call from the school. And who knows, as a parent, that when you get a phone call from the school, that's bad news, not good news. Okay, a few parents are like, <laughs> yeah, I know that one. Okay, we're going to pray for your naughty kids after the service. 
Um, but you know that that phone call isn't going to be, hello, Mr. McKenzie, you'll notice that there is a sticker on your son's shirt. We gave him a sticker and a pat on the back because he wrote the number five around the right way. No, 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 it's, all, it's going to be something bad. And so I took the phone call from the reception staff of the school and they said, hello, Mr. McKenzie. I said, yes. Um, they said, it's a school and uh, we just wanted to alert you of something that happened at school involving Archer. And I thought, oh, he's been, you know, he's got a soccer ball kicked into his head um, by a year six kid or whatever. And they said, no, we, uh, we're celebrating Holy Week, not Holy Week, Holy Week, H-O-L-I. Holy is a festival, festival that the Hindu people celebrate. So it celebrates the triumph of good over evil. And what they do is they get dressed up in very colourful costumes and they throw coloured dye. It's like colour run, but across the whole of the Indian country for Holly. And they light lots of candles. And so the reception class, which is the English kindergarten, um, were doing a colouring in exercise. And so Archer is sitting there in, in his reception class with all these other little four-year-olds and he's sitting there and he's not doing the colouring in. He's got a blank piece of paper in front of him, a candle um, that doesn't have any colour on it. And uh, the teacher says, you know what? He refused to partake in the holly colouring in. And I went, oh no, that's terrible, isn't it? (laughs) Now something was going on in the spirit of that little four-year-old. We didn't send him out that morning and say, hey mate, it's Holy Week this week, just make sure you don't do any colouring in of any Hindu candles. We didn't teach him that. We didn't, I, didn't, I don't even know he knew about the Ten Commandments. You should put no other God before me. I don't, know, I don't know if he was. I don't know what was going on in his mind. What I do know is what was going on in his spirit. There was this moment where he, as a human, that is, has supernatural capabilities, as we all do, he was sitting in front of a blank set of colouring in going, This doesn't reconcile with what I think is right. And he wouldn't have been able to articulate that. And I don't know this day as a seven-year-old if he'd be able to explain that to me or even if he remembers this. But I saw that day this little boy that was able to um, try and reconcile what was going on in his spirit. And so I very cheekily asked the teacher, oh, sorry, asked the teacher at pickup um, why you were celebrating Holy Week at an Anglican school. Um, but anyway, in my years going through high school, I learned that the teacher is always right even when they're wrong. Yeah, bit of advice, a bit of advice for you high school kids. Is that right, teachers? Teachers in the house? Yeah? Yeah? All right, cool. Don't call out without putting your hand up. But that's a bit of free advice for you, for the teachers. No, we love teachers. We honour them. You guys are right. You're doing a fantastic job. We're designed for worship. Point number one, we are designed for worship. And so that little four-year-old boy figured out on that day what was going on uh, in terms of the spiritual in his life being convicted with the natural pressures of the world. Isaiah 43, 7 says, God says, they are my people I created each of them to bring honour to me. Who loves being in nature? 
Who loves getting in the salt water? Who loves getting on the top of a mountain? Who loves getting dirty in a cow paddock? Who loves getting sweaty on a run? Okay, a lot of people. I love it. I absolutely love it. And there's something about nature, whether you're a Christian or you're not, there's something about nature that just kind of centres us. There's, there's this experience that we get from nature that just sits well with our soul, sitting next to a quiet stream, being on top of a mountain, getting a view, seeing a sunrise, seeing a sunset, whatever it might be, sunrise, sunset, east, west, um, whatever it might be, there's just something that everyone feels is good for us. And we as Christians believe that it is a way of reminding us of the beauty and the majesty of God, seeing God's thumbprint across all creation. Here's what the scripture says about nature. Psalm 19, 1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. The trees of the forest sing for joy. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together. A bit of natural personification there. How do you like that, teachers? Personification. The meadows and the valleys shout and sing together for joy. Sing, O heavens. Shout, O depths of the earth. Break forth into singing, O mountains, O forest, and every tree in it. For the Lord will be glorified in Israel. You know, worship... When we worship, we join with heaven. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a spiritual tug of war. Satan tries to pull us down into the deep, dark depths. But when we worship, we lift ourselves, we lift our spirit, we lift our souls towards heaven and we join with heaven. There are people, not people, angels And those that have gone before us in heaven, constantly worshipping. And when we worship, whether it be here, whether it be in our bedroom in the quiet of the morning or the evening, whether it be in the car, when we worship, our souls join in the kingdom of heaven and our souls join in that unified song. When we do it together collectively on a Sunday morning, we pull ourselves in this spiritual tug of war, we pull ourselves out of this fallen earth, this sinful earth, and we get a glimpse of heaven, we get a touch of heaven. When we treasure, prize and enjoy God and we delight and we are satisfied in His presence, we pull that tug-of-war momentum towards heaven. The world needs Christians to worship God. The world is better off when we worship God. Here's my second point this morning. Worship puts worth on God. Worship puts worth on God. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, the three guys in Daniel 3, through an act of worship, put a worth on God that was visible to the people there. Daniel 3, 16, 17 says, O Nebuchadnezzar, this is the three guys talking, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. And so they did not sing two praise songs, two worship songs, and then bow their heads in prayer. They didn't do that. That's not necessarily what worship always is. 
But what they did do was they put God in his rightful place in that moment. They put God above King Nebuchadnezzar in that moment. They put God above their own personal safety in that moment. And so that king was an absolute psycho. He invaded their homeland. They knew exactly what he could do. And he just said, if you don't bow to me, I'm going to push you into that big old meat smoker there. And then they, they just disregarded that because they lifted God above that. When your words, actions and life put worth on God, everyone else sees Romans 14, 17 to 18 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So if you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God and others will approve of you too. And the story goes, if you haven't been to Sunday school or it's been a while, is that there was another person in that fire when those three guys were put in. There was a fourth person, visible Not a person as such, but a heavenly being, an angel. The presence of God was in that fire. And here's what Nebuchadnezzar says in Daniel 3, 26 to 29. He he goes closer to the flaming furnace. He takes a good look. He's like, what's going on there? He says, you servants of the most high God come out at once because he could see that they are alive, in fire. And they came out and the king's high officials, governors and advisors all crowded around them. And the men were not burned, their hair wasn't scorched and their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. King Nebuchadnezzar said, praise their God for sending an angel to rescue his servants. They trusted their God and refused to obey my commands. Yes, they chose to die rather than to worship or serve any God except their own. And I won't allow people of any nation or race to say anything against their God. Anyone who does will be chopped up and their houses will be torn down because no other God has great power to save. So it's fantastic that he glorified God, but he's still a bad dude. (laughs) He's just changing his target. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, I love that, kind of, in the right way. Uh, Let me be very clear there. He didn't even believe in God. He saw God in the flames. He glorified God and put worth on God. He didn't give his life over to God. But because of the worshipful act that those three Judeans went through and showed and proclaimed, other people around saw that. And so that's what the world needs from Christians. We don't need more Facebook keyboard warriors. We don't need more pamphlets flicked out to strangers on the street. All of that has a rightful place. What has a better place is people living worshipful lives. Is people glorifying God through the everyday? Is people making a stand for God in their school, in their workplace, in their home, in their car, in the shops, in the family, around the family dinner table? Anywhere that you go, make a stand for Jesus. Don't be weird about it. What I love about this passage is that these guys weren't weird about it. They, they were very respectful to King Nebuchadnezzar, respectful enough anyway. 
He didn't command respect. But they were respectful enough and they showed the love of God. Point number three, worship puts a God perspective on everything. These guys were so sure that they were rescued from the fire, even standing in front of the fire and the soldiers next to them got burned. That would have been weird, right? Can we just acknowledge that that would be weird and they're not even sweating? So they knew exactly what would have happened. They say in Daniel 3.18, even if he doesn't save us, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. I love that they put this brilliant caveat on their valiant statement. They're standing there all brave and courageous and they say, yeah, but even if God doesn't save us right now, they're acknowledging that God is still sovereign and they're still worshipping him and they're still putting him in his rightful place. They're willing to stand for their faith, but they put this condition on it. And that's not a lack of faith. No, no, that's just keeping God in his rightful place. They believed that he could do it but they didn't know that he would. And that's a very clear distinction that I want to make this morning. They believed that he could do it, but he didn't know they would, but they were willing to see. They weren't willing to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar. And so they understood the nature and the sovereignty of God despite what could have happened. That story could have gone, had a very different ending. They knew that his character was perfect no matter how that story finished. Now, Isaiah 43, 2 to 3 says, When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. Do you know that Isaiah, who wrote that verse who proclaimed that prophecy, lived 100 years before Daniel wrote the book of Daniel. So Isaiah was talking about walking through the fire 100 years before it actually became an event, which just spins my mind right out. Can you imagine Isaiah sitting at his table just hearing from God? He's a prophet, so he hears from God word for word as he's writing it down. He's like, Going through the fire. Are you sure, God? As God's speaking to him. He's like, all right, I'll write it down. I'm into my 43rd chapter of, of this book that I might call my own. <laughs> Going through the fire? How is that possible? All right. And then 100 years later, God goes, now watch this. And it's a pretty cool party trick. But God didn't have to do that. He would have already been magnified because of the testimony and the worship of these three Judeans who stood at the fiery pit. But he chose to go, you know what? I'm going to produce one of the most coolest miracles in the history of mankind. And I'm going to show that when we worship, when we worship the God of heaven and earth, cool things happen. He hears us. He sees us. He responds to us. He doesn't have to, but he could. And so when we worship God, are you willing to think, hope, pray, proclaim that he will walk through your circumstance with you? Whatever your fiery pit, whatever's going on in your life, 
whatever circumstance you're dealing with, are you prepared to proclaim that God, I know that you can be there with me in that fire, but even if you don't, I'm still going to proclaim your name. That is a powerful prayer. And I'll invite the worship team up. We're just about to finish shortly. But when we worship, we project that worth onto God. And every moment that we worship is a moment where heaven is joined to earth, where we get a godly perspective and we are reminded when we're out in the bush, when we're out in the cow paddock, when we're in the ocean, we are reminded of the beauty, the majesty, the thumbprint of God. Creation speaks His name. And so worship is a discipline. The more we do it, the better we become at it. The more we do it, the more natural it becomes. And so sitting in your car, listening to worship, telling Siri to put on a bit of worship music, that might not be natural in your lifestyle or in your everyday. And that's fine. That's cool. God meets us where we're at. But God promises that He will meet us. He met people in the fire. He can meet us in our car, in our bedroom, in our office, around our family dining table, in the dunnies at work, wherever it might be where you need God. He's right there if we invite Him in. And we invite Him in through worship. And so you might feel like you're giving God your everything, but are you making sure He's number one? Do you have no other gods before Him? And I'm not talking about the God that is on the colouring in for Holy Festival. I'm not talking about Muhammad. I'm not talking about other gods as such, but I'm talking about other things that creep into our lives that diminish where God is in our life. Is He number one? Is He your number one? Is He the wellspring of your heart? Is He the delight that you have in your life? And I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're bringing in this morning, what, what energy, what, um, no, that does sound weird. Um, I, don't know, I don't know what circumstances uh, that, that are dragging down your energy. I don't know where you're at. I don't know whether you need resting God. I don't know, but you know, and God knows. And He can meet you there. We're going to have the prayer team over here in a moment. We're going to worship God. We want to have an opportunity to just have unabandoned worship because He is the way maker. He is the miracle worker. He's the promise keeper. He is the light in your darkness. He is the guy in the fire. He is the answer. He is the antidote. He is the response for everything. He is the resurrection power in your life. And the same God that got off the cross 2,000 years ago is here. He wants to meet you in your circumstances and He wants to just hold you, embrace you. So we're going to stand, we're going to lift the name of Jesus and we're going to proclaim Him over any circumstance in our life. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, 
destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.